Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks from Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, I had a little bit of a health issue lately and lost a lot of weight, almost like 60 pounds. Now, some of that was on purpose. Some of that was from the hospital stay, uh, but I had to get some new clothes. And so guess where I'm going? That's right. I'm going to Leon Tailoring because Larry Norman Kim and Judy have taken my measurements for years and the measurements have dropped a little bit. And so they'll take care of me just like they'll take care of you. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. Don't tell me you lost weight. They'll be able to tell if you have or not. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, although school is out for the summer, there's still a lot of things going on in the world of higher education here in the state of Indiana. And joining us on the news line is our good friend Chris Lowry, the commissioner uh, for higher ed here in Indiana. So, Chris, my friend, always good to chat with you. Thank you very much for being with us. Abdul, it is always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for uh, asking me and for lifting up higher ed today. No worries, my friend. Uh, so how would you describe the state of higher education in, in Indiana these days? You know, I would describe it as very hopeful. Um you and I talked a little bit. It was a great legislative session, um, and not just for higher education, but I believe for students, uh, employers who need our students in the talent pipeline, and and for our state. Um, we made a lot of advancements uh, in areas where we have some real challenges. And uh, as I said, I, I am just really hopeful because uh, some key initiatives we were able to not only get passed, but with really broad bipartisan support uh, and support from really across all sectors, business, community and faith-based organizations, philanthropy, government, education. So uh, I feel really pleased about it and uh, think the trajectory is very positive. Uh, what were some of those things you folks got done uh, over in the General Assembly this year? Well, hey, thanks for asking. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a handful of these. Uh, you know, chief among the uh, really the successes was passage of the 21st century uh, auto enroll uh, legislation. I, I think, as you know, probably probably a lot of your listeners know that the 21st century scholars program has been around for many years, actually since 1990. And it's a program that is uh, targeted to low-income uh, students beginning in seventh and eighth grade. And uh, the opportunity is that if they stick with a plan, I call it the, the good student, good citizen plan, then they will be eligible for all of their tuition to be paid at our public institutions and, of course, apply to many of our private institutions. It's a, it's a a promise program. A lot of states refer to them in that manner. Uh, but what was so great about this legislation is that uh, we've had a real challenge for the last 30 some years to get the kids signed up, right? Sometimes, you know, it's a 13 or 14 year old. They've, they've left their, uh, application in a gym bag or or maybe you know at home that just didn't get completed so a lot of kids fell through the cracks um our our most recent numbers indicated that less than half of the kids who are actually eligible would get signed up so we went to the legislature went to uh, the governor again a lot of friends across business community organizations etc and said we think it's time to just automatically enroll these kids before they finish eighth grade and uh, so that passed. Uh, in fact, again, you know, Abdul, what I was so just delighted with is the messaging uh, resonated. You know, we demonstrated that there's a great return on investment for the state of Indiana. Uh, you know, what happens to these students on the positive side, right? Lower unemployment, greater labor participation, greater wages. They're going to pay more taxes, right? Um, and they'll avoid a lot of the crummy stuff, you know, statistically. We, we know it's just a better opportunity. And, and I'll share this with you. This is just really cool news. Um, as I said, in, in a given year, only about half of the kids get signed up, and that's 
roughly 20,000 a year. And on June 30th, which was when an eighth grader could have been considered to be still an eighth grader. Um, <laughs> exactly. Those kids, yeah, those kids who will be in the class of uh, 2027 high school, we were able to automatically enroll them uh, based upon things like uh, eligibility for free and reduced lunch, et cetera. Anyway, we automatically enrolled over 40,000 kids. Um, so we're, we're just really excited. And the other thing is we're going to be able to shift our resources uh, rather than, you know, hunting around to try to get these kids signed up, but instead to be coming alongside the schools and the counselors and teachers and community organizations to make sure these kids are successful and they, uh, you know, execute their student success uh, uh, requirements. And uh, But then several others, too, it, it, if I've got a minute or, sure. or if you want to jump in, um, I'll, I'll, I could quickly reference a few others for you. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, guest on the program today is our good friend Chris Lowry, the Commissioner of Higher Education. Talk about the state of higher ed uh, here in Indiana. Talk about some of the things, uh, some of the victories and other things that happened in the legislature of impacting higher ed. Uh, Chris, what were some of those other things you wanted to mention? Hey, Abdul, thanks so much. You know, uh, Indiana uh, will now be the seventh state in the nation to require completion of the FAFSA, the FAFSA, it's the Federal Financial Aid Form, uh, before a student graduates from high school. There's an opt-out provision if, you know, if the family doesn't want to. But why that's so significant, we saw that in red states, blue states, uh, who had already done this, just a, a really uh, – dramatic increase in the percentage of students make you know applying for and then receiving federal aid and you know my message to anyone had been look we're sending taxes to washington right let's be clear about that and other states who are doing this they're making sure they're getting their share of those taxes back for their students uh in form of federal aid and others so anyway, long story short, that uh, also passed. Uh, frankly, it had never passed. I think it had never passed one chamber. You know, uh, it, it had never you know gone fully through the legislature. It was just like the 21st Century Scholars Bill. It was almost unanimous. Um, then we also, and this was uh, you know I think very significant. We uh, decided to take a run at um, I think really updating and. Uh, bringing into, uh, you know, what our challenges are today, our outcomes-based performance funding formula. Uh, you know, for your listeners, the long and the short of that is for over 20 years, we've had a performance funding uh, and incentive structure for our state universities and colleges. And uh, they had almost always been focused just on completion rates, which are very good, and that's very important. But, um I think you and I've talked before when I came into the office about 15 months ago, we did a, a situation assessment and we found there were really three key things we had to focus on uh, the college going rate. So essentially enrollment of you know, kids leaving high school and going to college and universities, the same thing for adults had really been declining pretty precipitously for the last decade. Uh, completions, improvements along the way, but not enough yet. And then um, also realizing that we're really good as a state of attracting students to come to our public and private uh, colleges, universities. We're just not very good at keeping them. And so 14th in the nation at bringing students in, but we're 40th in keeping students after graduation. So long story short, that new outcomes-based performance funding formula 
uh, really is a partnership then between the state and our public institutions to focus on all three of those things, and specifically, you know, geared toward low-income students, where we have the, you know, the most challenges for enrollment completion. Uh, so, really excited about that. And along the way, we've we've done some other things that weren't directly legislative, but uh, we have just initiated what we're calling a pre-admission strategy. Um, I'll be very blunt about it. You know, this was something that's kind of nagged me for a long time. I I, I think. The marketplace uh, for the consumer, so prospective students, isn't the friendliest uh, in terms of finding out what opportunities someone has, right? You, you sort of got to go through a, a bunch of process uh, and sort of guess who might accept you and who might not, um, and then take a stab at completing a bunch of applications. Well, we got this idea from the state of, of Idaho, and basically what we're doing is partnering with Department of Education, local schools, and our public and private institutions. So here's what's going to happen. The first week of September, uh, high school students, seniors uh, across the state uh, from most high schools, next year it'll be all high schools, but most high schools will um, receive a letter from the commission indicating a whole list of public and private institutions to which they're provisionally accepted. And it's based on the criteria they're giving us around uh, GPA and SAT and or SAT. So a lot of kids are, we think, going to be students. Young people are going to be really excited to find out that maybe while they thought they could get into two or three, they may find out that they're able to get into 10 or 15 and, you know, scholarship opportunities and so forth. So really excited about that. And then I I think you and I had talked maybe back in the winter about this, um, uh, that, uh, gosh, I guess it was this last fall, uh, just at the beginning of the legislative, right before the legislative session began, that uh, the state budget committee, the governor and others were very supportive of us to go in and restore cuts that had been made all the way back to the Great Recession in 2009 to the Franco Bannon scholarship. And again, what's so really significant about that is it's really geared toward uh, low-income students. And um, yeah, so we're really excited about that, that it's going to, you know, bring more opportunity to low-income kids and also stretching the scale to reach more middle-income students who often, uh, you know, don't have opportunities either. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Chris Lowry. Chris is the Commissioner for Higher Education here in the state of Indiana, so we're getting caught up on the state of higher education. Uh, Chris, uh, I want to talk to you about the sort of the new funding model for Hoosier colleges and universities. I remember uh, back in the old days, it used to be completion rates, but the question always was, okay, uh, how do you how do you measure like a Purdue and IU versus an Ivy Tech, where Ivy Tech is more part time, and you know, you know, we all realize that life happens. You know, is it is it three years? Is it is it five years? Um, so so I guess uh, with with the with the new formula, how does that impact you know the traditional colleges versus like an Ivy Tech? Abdul, I think that is a, a an excellent question. In fact, um, the legislature gave us some guidance on that, which you know, personally, I found to be really, really helpful. Um, as I said, we had identified with a situation assessment where we really felt we needed to focus right on the enrollment side, completions, and graduate retention. And I'll I'll make this applicable here in a second. Uh, but about two years ago, uh, the legislature took a look at the way the performance funding formula was structured, what the outcomes had been, uh, we were really getting out of it everything that we needed, and they made a few things really clear. And uh, there was a bill that passed, and then there was a uh, a working group task force that was put together. They said a couple of different things. They said, one, 
uh, don't reallocate money that's already going to the institutions. That, now, that's a little wonky, but um, essentially what had happened for many years since the Great Recession was that when you looked at the funding pool for higher ed, a slice was taken out of everyone's bucket, and then it was you know reallocated or redistributed. And that's, uh, you know, to call that then incentives funding. We, we, is, jokingly, is call those, a, we jokingly call those reversions over at the state house. <laughs> Well, exactly. Right. And so it was a little odd. And they said, look, we're, we're not going to do that going forward. So put that into the plan. And so new funding to you know, truly treat it as incentive for better performance. Uh, the second thing they said was, um, look, we got to quit looking at data that's so old uh, without, again, getting in sort of the wonky nature of it. The, the time periods that were measured under the old formula, um, I think at the time that the legislature started this past January, only one president out of all the state public institutions had actually been in office long enough to have spanned those entire timelines, right? So so having, you know, the senior leader accountable for, you know, uh, past actions is a little, again, odd. But I think the, the most significant thing that the legislature directed us to do was to recognize mission differentiation between the institutions, to to recognize exactly those kind of things that you said, Abdul, that, um, you know, some institutions uh, principally serve, you know, first-generation, low-income students who might have a whole lot of barriers, uh, not only to getting enrolled, but to staying enrolled, while others, you know, that... Um, you know, our flagship institutions, you know, they're attracting students uh, all the time from not only Indiana and across the nation, but, but from across the world. And so, you know, enrollment's not a challenge for them. And then with the competitiveness, you know, completion rates are higher uh, and so forth. But but with this new approach, what I am just so excited about is, again, what we've been able to do is work with the institutions uh, in these broad categories of enrollment completion and graduate retention, um, look at where they are and, and measure them against themselves, right? Instead of measuring, you know, a community college against a flagship four-year research, research university, uh, they're being measured against themselves. So as an example, on the graduate retention um, you know, Purdue and IU at Bloomington and West Lafayette, as we would guess, attract a lot of talent from out of state and out of the country. And in some of their programs, you know, frankly, we wish more of those graduates would stay right here, right? Because they're in fields, uh, you know, STEM and other fields, business STEM and others, where we would love to keep that talent here. And so by providing some incentive, providing some attention to it, uh, what I think is just has just been wonderful to see is, for example, in both of their instances, they have built that now into their strategic plan uh, and strategic priorities to, to focus more on keeping students uh, once they graduate, right? Working more with businesses, et cetera. They already worked with them a lot, but just increasing the intentionality of it. Um, you know, or uh, looking at any of the institutions, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we've got students lining up to get in here. However, it's another thing to say, uh, what percentage of those are Hoosier students? What percentage of those are perhaps low-income first-generation Hoosier students, right? So to differentiate with uh, with those. And then, um, which was also really, uh, you know, foresightful, I think, on the part of the uh, legislature, they said, hey, you know, Ivy Tech is even 
really even different than those four-year institutions that we have. So let's let's look at them even a little differently. And that's really significant. You know, and you know, I don't know, maybe a few of your, re- your listeners would know that uh, I spent, uh, gosh, eight years at Ivy Tech, led the workforce side of the college uh, for six of those. And specifically, as you think about it, you know, some of the strength that they have, besides being Gosh, you know, forty some locations. Uh, I don't know, one hundred and seventy thousand students. Uh, the biggest, you know, the, technically, the biggest college in Indiana. Exactly right, and and so some of the things that they distinctly have that uh, you know we have to think about are are filling those immediate workforce needs that um, can be met with things like industry certifications, and. Uh, you know, uh, academic certificates that might only be one or two semesters in length. And so this has allowed us, it's allowed Ivy Tech for all of us to work together and say, okay, how do we make it fit uh, the needs of the institutions and then very specifically uh, the students they're serving, you know, create the dynamic workforce that we need in Indiana. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it, you know, it was a uh, a lift getting to that, right? Because it really hasn't been substantively changed in a number of years. And, uh, right. So we had those parameters the the legislature gave us, we were looking at the, you know, the economic you know, situation assessment that we did. And I, I am just so proud of, of and pleased with the work that so many people did in coming together uh, for what I think will be a really good product for, for Indiana. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.